We continue in our, our study of uh, learning really to how to pray like the Apostle Paul prayed, to, to look at his Holy Spirit-inspired prayers in Scripture. And the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the prayers that he prayed for the Ephesian Christians. And today we're looking at a specific section of the prayer that he prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. And it really is about the dimensions and experiencing the dimensions of God's love for you as an individual. Over the course of, of, of you know, revival history, course of, of times where God met people very powerfully, there's a, common, there's a common thread in their testimony. I wanted to read you just a brief little bit of some of these testimonies. Someone whose writings have been very meaningful to me, he was an evangelist and a teacher in the times of D.L. Moody and worked with Moody in Chicago and in, in, his, in his evangelistic crusades was a man by the name of R.A. Torrey. And Torrey was a devout Christian, and a, a, I think somewhat of a biblical scholar in some ways, but he talked about how when he was reading the scripture at this one point, he said, I was overwhelmed with a profound consciousness of God's love. And I began to weep and weep. And it, it hit him so profoundly that he actually prayed. He said, God, show me no more. I cannot bear it. Paul is basically talking about the limitless dimensions of the love of God. Uh, Charles Finney uh, was probably one of the most effective evangelists you know that's ever lived considering he had no there was no mass media that he could use there was no amplification that you know and yet he reached uh in, in a short span of time relatively short span of time like a million people for christ in the early 1800s and Fenny, Fenny's conversion was pretty dramatic but then he talks about being he called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's really a baptism of love. And he says, no words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. And I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. These waves came over me and over me and over me, one after the other. Until I recollect, I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more. Yet I had no fear of death. Waves upon waves of the love of God, the wonderful love of God. And one of my favorite stories is D.L. Moody. Um, the backstory is that there were some I, th I can't remember if it was one lady, older lady, or two, I can't remember, but they, they told Moody, even though he was being successful in his ministry as a, an evangelist, they, they told him something so interesting. They said, uh, Mr. Moody, uh, we are praying that you will be baptized with the Spirit. Again, it was, these are pre-Pentecostal kind of days, uh, pre-1906 um, you know, and the Azusa Street revival and, and people thought of baptism in the Holy Spirit as a baptism into the fuller life of the Spirit, into the power of the Holy Spirit, kind of what we've been talking about in Ephesians 3. So these two ladies, 
said they were praying that for Moody and it, it hurt his feelings. He was, he was uh, a little offended by it. But he left Chicago, came to New York, and was on his way to Europe to begin a, a series of evangelistic meetings in Europe. And he says that he was walking on Wall Street here in New York City and he met the love of God so intensely that again, he's another one who said he had to ask the Lord to stay his hand. He thought he might die from the experience of God's love. And and he he just, he, I like the way he writes about it. He said, ah, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. Why am I, why am I telling you these testimonies? Because this is exactly what Paul is asking for the Ephesian Christians. And I believe it's exactly what we need to be asking. It, it, you, you see... What these three testimonies tell and what Paul's prayer tells is you cannot grasp the love of God without God giving you the power to grasp it. And even as he gives you the power to grasp it, the, the, the dimensions of this love are so great that these three pretty effective men in terms of ministry and in terms of uh, spiritual life, these three men didn't even have capacity for it. They kept asking God to stay his hand. And so here is Paul's prayer in the second part of verse 17 of chapter 3 through 19. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So this is the second of Paul's petitions for the Ephesians. But it's also like power requests or requests for God's power. But this time, the purpose of the power is so that you can grasp how loved you are by God and how the dimensions of God's love are something you spend the rest of your life experiencing. Even like these men who wrote and said, as they began to experience the dimensions of Christ's love, they were overwhelmed to the point they said, God, I can't, I can't take anymore. It's more than I can stand. So what is it we're really talking about? Well, we're talking about the fact that you as a Christian have been established from the very beginning of your Christian life. You are established in his love. He loves you. He has set his love upon you. The adoption that we have in Christ through the Spirit is an adoption of love. He chooses us because he loves us. He changes our status to sons and daughters because he loves us. He gives us union with, with, with himself. He gives us the fullness of his Holy Spirit. All that he is, he, he gives to us and unites with us because he loves us. But what Paul is saying, and what, what if we're honest, we have undervalued that love. We have underappreciated it, that we don't even know how to grasp how loved we are without the power of God giving us this ability to grasp. 
What is, what is this spiritual power? Well, it's a genuine spiritual power that allows you to grasp hold of the love that has grasped hold of you. And so what it really refers to here is an openness and a receptiveness to the work of the Spirit, to work to the work of the Word of God and the Spirit of God to make you more and more inwardly spiritually sensitized so that you are beginning to connect to gospel truth. You're beginning to connect to the whole thing that it's not what you do for God, it's what God has done for you. It's not so much about how much you love God, that's important, but your love for God will only be in proportion to the love of God that you've grasped hold of and you've understood. So the idea is that in your innermost being, in this, in terms of you know brain uh, geography, it's your right hemisphere. Have you grasped, not just have you, have you uh, in some ways analyzed the concept of his love, but have you really grasped has it come into to the greatest of value? Have you given it the weight that it deserves? Have you had the experience of it to where his love begins to penetrate your pain? Your love begins to penetrate into the way you think about life so that everything is directed and the grid of everything you do is from the love of God. That you don't look at something and say, God, do you love me? No, you look at it from the perspective as one who is dearly loved by God and everything changes. Whatever circumstance you're facing, that, that is not a test of the love of God because you have, been, you have been rooted and grounded in that love. And so no circumstance can change how you value and how sensitive you are to the love that God has for you. You know, to grasp something is... is it's, it's more than just to assent or to agree with it. It's more than just a simple belief. To grasp it means that you've taken hold of it. And when it comes to the love of God, it really means that the love of God has taken hold of you, and now you're taking hold of what has taken hold of you. And oftentimes there are, there are some kind of... <laughs> it seems like we have to come to the end of our own resources. We have often come to either dramatic or sometimes even traumatic circumstances before we're able to truly reflect on how awesome and how, how, how deep the dimensions of God's love are for us. Uh, I remember some incredibly awesome experiences with God, both both at times where it was maybe a service or a worship or whatever, but there were also dramatic moments in my life where my way of looking at life and my way of doing life was just wrong. It was in my own strength. It was in my own power. It was for my own benefit. And when I came to the end of that and said, you know, I can't live the Christian life in my own power. I can't live the Christian life just for my own benefit, only choosing what I think will benefit me. And and meeting the love of God in such a, a powerful way, uh, hearing his voice, feeling and sensing his love, the heart has to get sensitized to this spiritual reality of this wonderful truth, this gospel truth of the love of God. The problem is, if your heart is not sensitized, the love is coming towards you at all times, but it's just bouncing off. 
whether it's a hardness of heart or it's just a deadness of spirit, whatever it might be, but it just kind of bounces off. When we are responding, even taking baby steps with the Holy Spirit, these beautiful truths of God's love begin to stick. You begin to develop an ability to grip it, to take hold of it, not to have it come one minute and be gone the next, but actually to take hold of it like it The love of God wants to take hold of you and grip you. Jonathan Edwards had a way of expressing this that I thought was interesting. He said, you can intellectually know that honey is sweet. You can have heard it from other people that honey is sweet. But that's not nearly the same thing as tasting honey. Once you taste it, you don't just have a concept of of sweetness. You have the experience of sweetness. This is, I think this is why the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In a way, he's saying, God is, you think honey is sweet. Taste and see the love of God. Taste and see the goodness of God. And again, this is, you know, this is tested goodness. It's tested sweetness. It's not just, I I think God is good. It is, I know I've tasted the goodness of the Lord. And the result of that, is that you have an unshakable comfort from within. You have energy, a source of energy that's not just your own hormones or your own physical shape or whatever it is. You have an energy that's flowing from the very trinity of God. You have the the dunamis, the power, the might of God strengthening you from the inside out. Instead of addictions, the love of God gives you a compulsion towards that love. Paul talked about being restrained or constrained by the love of Christ so that his motivations and all that he was doing was coming out of this supply of God's love. And here's, I've found that the deepest emotional need that every human has is the need for security or safety. And there is nothing more secure than the love of of God in Christ. It, It does not end. It has no ending safe in the arms of the Lord. Um, we were reminded in our growth group last night of, of uh, one of our members of our growth group talked about at a, at a strategic time in her life, the Lord met her. And actually she heard these words that she was under his eternal embrace. And it meant a lot to her. But this week she was reading her in her devotional and she found out that that's actually the very wording that God gives to his people through Moses, that they are under his eternal embrace. And suddenly she realized that God has spoken to her from his eternal word, but had applied to her traumatic situation or difficult situation. And it was just so meaningful because here, here, she was in a, a situation of feeling very isolated and alone, but she was not. She was upheld. She was embraced by his inter- eternal, you know, eternal embrace of his arms. So, in other words, what we're really starting to talk about is this isn't love in general, or not even the love of God in general. But Paul goes into this description of how long and wide and high and deep is God's love in Christ for us. And you start to realize that these, this brings to mind scriptures, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That's, that is how wide the love of God is, that it started 
the links that he was gone to started before creation. There are depths that you and I will will only kind of profoundly discover over time as we think about what what did it cost Jesus in order to love me? What did it cost our our Father? What did it cost the Father of our Lord Jesus to love you? And you begin to see that there are these dimensions of the love of God. It's not superficial. It's costly. He went to great lengths. You can't escape the width of his love. You can't, uh, you can't ever fully plumb the depths of his love. Um, uh, one of my favorite stories uh, Tim Keller tells about a woman in New York City, because I've had people say similar things to me of, you know, I, I believe in the love of God. I believe in a loving God. I just, uh, you know, I don't need Jesus and I don't need, you know, this... Um, you know, this stuff that you're talking about of a sacrifice and forgiveness and all this kind of stuff. And she actually said to him, well, my God is a God of infinite love. And so Keller asked her a couple of questions. He said, number one, he says, what does it cost your God to love you? And her answer is nothing. He's, you know, he just forgives me and there's no cost. It cost him nothing to love me. And then you and I, we look and we, we recognize, what does it cost a holy God to love sinners? It costs his own son. What did it cost Jesus to love sinners like you and me? Well, it cost him his life. It cost him more than just physical pain, friends. He became sin. He became not just the penalty and the punishment of your sin, but he had to become that sin. He had to become that curse so then he could pay that penalty. He who knew no sin became, he who had only known innocence and righteousness and holiness, who was in every way like us, but without sin, had to become sin because he loved us so much that he couldn't let us go into eternity with our sins. He wanted to take the burden for us. What's the depths of the love of God? You know, a father who gave his only son and a son who was willing to be separated from the father and to pay an eternal price for our sin so that we could be the righteousness of God in him, so we could be loved as if we were him and treated as if we were as righteous as him. That's the depths of the love of God. And and you and I can spend the rest of our lives trying to understand why someone would love us like this. Now, here's the problem with a lot of Christians. It's not like that lady who just thinks God has the job of forgiving and loving. But a lot of Christians, because they do know God is holy and because they know they're not, they keep, they keep missing that you receive his love. You don't earn his love. I hear people all the time, oh, I don't deserve it. Well, that's the point. If you deserved it, he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be grace, it would be justice. But see, what we deserve is death, so the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you either decide, am I going to live receiving the free gift with your faith, or if I'm going to live my life trying to earn, which is death. And so... People constantly are trying to say to me, well, I'm just not worthy. I'm like, it's irrelevant. 
That's an irrelevant question. Receive his love. Humble yourself and receive his love. And let the depth of that love begin to begin to be the foundation of your entire life. What's the height of his love? Well, it's to be forever with the Lord. Forever with the Lord. I mean, that's... You and I, everything that we're looking for in this life, we won't, we won't fully find it. There'll always be a bit of an ache here because this is not our home. But when you see the face of Jesus and you look into his eyes and you see the love that he has for you, you'll say, that's my forever home. You're not going to go, ah, Jesus, you got some explaining to do. No, you're going to go, Lord, it was all worth it just for the look in your eyes. To be absent from the body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. And that's the height. The height of his love is not yet, for you and I, has not yet been experienced. Some glimpses of the height, some degree of capacity we have now to experience the heights of his love. But even those, those three men I told you about, and they're not, they're not the only ones, when the heights of God's love came, they, couldn't, they, they didn't even have a capacity for it. It was so great. So Paul describes all of these things, whether it's the, the width or the length or the depth or the height. He says it's, it's a love that surpasses knowledge. So it's beyond our intellect. So the love of Christ must be encountered in deeper and deeper ways. The, the Ephesians, Paul is saying, all of them, all of us included, need God's power just to be able to experience and to appreciate some of the dimensions of the love that God has for us in Christ. And so that's what Paul prays for them. So here, here are some practical applications of this. You can't grasp God's love if you're not embracing his scriptures, if you're not embracing the Bible, if you're not embracing the word of God. God's love is always found in truth, and truth is always, the truth of God is always found in love. It's not real love if there's not real truth, and it's not real truth if there's not real love. But Paul makes it clear, this is spiritually discerned and is spiritually received by faith so grasping this love means that there has to be a prayer life where you begin to pray for this power for yourself, for others, to experience this, these dimensions of the love of Christ and that be real to you. Anybody that ever says to me, well, I know God loves me, but they don't know God loves them. They don't have even the beginnings of the inclinations of the dimensions of the love that God has for them. Because that, that, that statement alone God loves me is sufficient because out of his love flows everything else. And this is, this is what Paul is talking about here. I mean, think about this with me, that you understand God's love or that you don't understand God's love adds nothing to God's love, nor does it take anything away from God's love. But what Paul is saying is it makes all the difference in your life. That the more you grasp the love that God has for you, Paul says, it fills you up to the whole fullness of God, which is a way of basically saying that God has a potential for your life that can only be fulfilled if you are filled with the love of Christ. So the more you grasp his love, the more you become all that God has wanted you to be or wants you to be and all that God designed you to be which is basically another way of talking about spiritual strength, spiritual maturity, spiritual power. 
But Paul is saying that the first place you ask for power is, Lord, I want the power to grasp your love for me. And then that is what leads to spiritual maturity. I, you know, I've been around the church my whole life. I've been around different traditions in the church. And I've seen some really knowledgeable people of scriptures who were not loving and who were not, who were not relational, who were not whole people. Well, what they were doing is they were divorcing the scriptures from the experience of God's love. And so therefore, though they were knowledgeable, they were not spiritually mature and they were not spiritually strong. And you can have entire churches that are spiritually knowledgeable but not spiritually mature because they do not grasp and they do not ask to grasp the love of God. So spiritual maturity, Paul is basically saying this fullness of the Christian life and of God's plans for you only are realized as you grasp the love that God has for you. We must grasp that and and, and that must be foundational for us to grow. So let me give you a, a, oh, I'm sorry to run out of time, but a quick illustration of this. Lisa and I, when we, I was in seminary, we worked in a children's home. We, we uh, were house parents for preteen boys. You know, they were like 10 to 13 or so. And they all came from broken homes and they all came from uh, some kind of abuse or neglect type situation. And it was so interesting, these kids, um, though their homes were abusive, though their, their lives were insecure in so many ways, we had numerous ones of them. As soon as everybody went to sleep, they would escape and they would run back to where they thought their home was or where they thought their parents. Now, they were really, really young. I got awakened so many nights with the police bringing our kids back. Um, I eventually, because we had had a, our son, and he was a newborn, I eventually had to quit that job because it was just too unsettling for our family because at least once, twice a week, these kids were running back to their old ways and to their old place, not ever appreciating in any way a safe environment, a secure environment, or even an environment where they had enough food to eat. But there was one kid who particularly... I had always touched my heart. His name was Edward. Edward was one of about six kids of a single mom, and, and they had been starving. The mom had not been able to get enough food for them. And um, Edward came to us just, you know, skinny as a rail, just in tattered clothes and, and just a wreck of a kid. And, and the, the home had, we, they, they cooked this really good country food, you know, very hearty kind of food that all the other boys hated. But Edward was so hungry that he would eat and eat. So he, he would maybe eat 10 pieces of chicken or something. He would eat, you know, all the steak. He would eat all the roast and everything. And he'd go and throw up and come back and eat some more. He would just gorge on it. So we had these extremes. So we had these kids who no matter what was provided for them because they weren't settled in to the safe environment. They ran back to their old environment. And then we had poor Edward and he would just, he was so afraid tomorrow there wouldn't be any food. So he would eat everything in sight, throw up, go find more to eat because he was afraid that today was all the food he would have. 
And it took Edward a long time to realize there's a consistency. There's always provision. There's always, there's always something for me to nourish myself. And as I look at that story, I realize, as I watch those kids, I realize that's how many of us come, even though God has rooted us and grounded us in the safety and security of his love and the nourishment of his love, we still either act like those boys who say, but I don't want to settle here. I'm running back to my old ways. Or we're like Edward, we're like, we, we don't really trust that tomorrow there'll be provision. I, I got to live just for today and just in this moment. And, and he would make himself sick, trying to eat enough to be okay for the rest of his life instead of thinking tomorrow God will also provide and tomorrow there'll be provision for me. So what I, I'm, I'm really thinking that Paul is, is asking us to pray in this way of being rooted and in settling into the safety and the security of his love, to learn to feed on his love, to allow ourselves to be strengthened in his love instead of running from his love or depriving ourselves of his love, which just results in immaturity and impoverished relationships of continuing in a trust-broken heart, empty of real spiritual reality. Here's the deal. Self-centeredness is only a reality in our lives because the love of God is not at the center of our lives. Once God's love is central and and we're understanding and grasping its dimensions, we have no need for self-centeredness. You see, every disobedience, every rebellion in our life is really a love issue. It's not breaking the rules. It's not trusting that God's plans or ways for us will nourish us, will protect us, will satisfy us. So it's really a love issue. That's what Paul is saying. When you're being disobedient, it's because you're not grasping his love for you. You haven't grasped the love that has rooted you and grounded you, that will nourish you you know, so that you settle in and you experience. Now, the fullness of his love. Now, please, please don't get stuck in some kind of religious form of praying. You need to ask yourself the question, how do I sense his love? How do I hear his voice? You know, when you're reading the scriptures, are you listening, trying to see the love the Father has for you, to look at the scriptures as a letter of love to you? Or maybe sometimes do you hear God better when you're listening, when you're singing worship music or you're listening to worship music? Do you have times of silence so he can speak his love into your heart? Is it helpful to you to listen to other people's messages so that it triggers understanding and work in your heart? All of those, friends, are intimate react, uh, reactions. They're intimate um, Uh, conversations in a way with God, which, uh, understand, prayer isn't just, dear Lord, and then go through a list. Prayer is any intimate communication you're having with God where God is communicating to you and you're responding to God. Now, the the thing that, that Paul makes clear here, and some of us don't realize, is this is not an individualistic thing alone. John Stott said it this way on the basis of this verse. It needs the whole people, people of God to understand the whole love of God. That's why Paul says you've got to do this together with all the saints. Now, 
this is true in all kinds of relationships. C.S. Lewis writes uh, one of the most telling things where he talks about two of his friends and how much he loved those two friends and how much he loved his interaction, but he really loved this one friend more than the other one. And though he was grieved when one of the friends passed away, it wasn't the friend he most wanted to spend time with. And so he thought, you know, he's pretty honest and vulnerable about this, but he thought, now I will have this friend all to myself. And that friend was J.R.R. Tolkien, whom he called Ronnie. And so Lewis found out, though, that the other friend had brought out something in Tolkien that Lewis never brought out. So in a way, he lost that side of his friend. If you, if you know anything about yourself, certain people bring out your sense of humor. Certain people bring out your seriousness. Certain people bring out d- different facets of your personality and your heart. Well, if that's true of us, knowing each other, how much more is that true of our knowledge of the love of God? So I, I need my brothers and sisters from other cultures, from other other traditions and other backgrounds to help me understand at facets of my God and of his love that I don't understand through my own cultural lenses or through my own personal experiences. So Paul is saying it takes all the saints, all God's people together, working together, bringing out all these wonderful facets of God. Now, they're all things that God himself has disclosed and they're all truthful things. But he says it's important that you not only discover the love of God in your own heart, but you you discover the love of God in community and in diversity. Now, I just wanted to close today with an old uh, hymn. It's written back in the 1800s. And I I, I just remember it from my childhood as something we used to sing. it's It's actually a poem that was set to music. Loved with everlasting love, drawn by grace that love to know, spirit sent from Christ above, thou dost witness it is so. O this full and precious peace from his his presence all divine, in a love that cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. Heaven above is deeper blue, earth around is sweeter green. That which glows in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen. Birds in song, his glory show. Flowers with richer beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. Whew, sorry, got to me a little bit. The rest of the poem is amazing too, but just that idea that everything looks different when you look through the dimensions of God's love. If this is the grasp of God's love that you want, would you make it your goal for the next six months to say, Lord, every day pray this prayer. I ask for the power to grasp the dimensions of your love. I pursue to know and experience the love that has grasped me. In Jesus' name, amen.